Section 3 of The American Bee Journal, Volume 6, Number 3, September 1870. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Bee Journal, Volume 6, Number 3, September 1870, by Various. Bees in Borneo and Timor. Having recently perused Mr. Spencer St. John's very interesting work on Borneo, published in 1862, under the title of Life in the Forests of the Far East, I have made notes of several passages relating to the apian aborigines of that magnificent tropical island. Speaking of the agricultural pursuits of the sea dyaks, Mr. St. John says they obtain beeswax from the nests built on the tapang tree and climb the loftiest heights in search of it upon small sticks which they drive in as they advance up the noble stem that rises above 100 feet free of branches and whose girth varies from 15 to 25 feet. Once these pegs are driven in, their outer ends are connected by a stout rattan, which, with the tree, forms a kind of ladder. It requires cool and deliberate courage to take a beehive at so great an elevation, where, in the case of being attacked by bees, the almost naked man would fall and be dashed to atoms. They depend upon the flambeau they carry up with them. As, when the man disturbs the hive, the sparks falling down from it cause, it is said, the bees to fly down in chase of them instead of attacking their real enemy, who then takes the hive and lowers it down by a rattan string. The bees escape unhurt. This plan does not appear to be as safe as that pursued by Pakatan Dyaks, who kindle a large fire under the trees and, throwing green branches upon it, raise so stilling a smoke that the bees rush forth and the man ascending takes their nest in safety. Both these operations are generally conducted at night, although the second might be, I imagine, practiced in safety during the day. With regard to the land dyaks, it is stated that to the left of the serum bough are some very fine tapang trees in which the bees generally build their nests. They are considered private property, and a dyak from a neighboring tribe venturing to help himself to some of this apparently wild honey and wax would be punished for theft. This is the first hint that is given of bees being considered in any respect as private property, but the following passage would seem to indicate that the domestication of the honeybee is not altogether unknown in the island. During the night, our rest was much disturbed by bees, which stung us several times, and Mr. Lowe, with that acuteness which never deserts him in all questions of natural history, pronounced them to be the tame bees, the same as he had seen thirteen years ago among the Senya Dyaks in Sarawak. About midnight we were visited by a big fellow who, our guides assured us, wanted to pilfer, but we found the next morning that he had come to complain of his hives having been plundered. On inquiry we discovered the man who had done the deed. He was fined three times the value of the damage and the amount handed over to the owner. 
During one of his adventurous expeditions up the river Limbang, Mr. St. John found a packed hand named Japper who accompanied him, a storehouse of information. He had a thorough faith in ghosts and spirits and told of many an adventure with them and of the Antus who caused the death of the wax hunters by pushing them off the Mangiris or Tapang tree. When the unfortunate men, from inefficient preparations as their companions not keeping up a great fire under the trees to stupefy the bees, are so stung as to let go their hold, the natural explanation is never taken. They fly to their superstitions. Japper's nephew saw one of these Tapang ghosts and managed to keep his eye upon him and prevent him from pushing him off. He came down without accident, but without any wax. I suggested that he invented the ghost to excuse his timidity, which Japper thought probable. Today we passed one of these lofty trees bearing above twenty bees' nests, among them four old ones white with wax. As the country is full of tapangs, in which alone do the bees build their nests, the stories of a great amount of wax formerly procured in this district may be true. Why do the honeybees generally build on one particular tree? Its being the finest in the forest is no good reason. Perhaps there is something enticing in the bark. I say generally because though I have never seen their nests on other trees, yet I have often come across them in the crevices of rocks. In a subsequent part of his journal of the same expedition, our author says, I never was in such a country for bees. They everywhere swarm in the most disagreeable manner, and the ants and other insects are equally numerous. When, on their return and nearly starved, the party had a very happy find, for while passing under a fine tapang tree, we noticed the remains of a bee's nest scattered about, and every particle was eagerly appropriated. From the marks around it, it appeared as if a bear had climbed this lofty tree and torn down the nest to be devoured by its young below, as there were numerous tracks of the smaller animals around. But whether the comb had been sucked by the bears or not was very immaterial to our men, who rejoiced in securing the little honey still clinging to it. The party appears only once to have fallen foul of a hornet's nest. The encounter and its results are thus described. It was in following the bed of the Rawan that I was stung. Notice was given by the guide to leave the direct path, and we all did, but I suppose someone disturbed the hornets, as they attacked me with a ferocity that appears incredible. Many flew at me, but two fixed on my arms and stung me through my double clothing. They poised themselves a moment in the air and then came in with a rush which was impossible to avoid. The pain was acute, but I saved my face. I tumbled down the steep bank in a moment and, throwing aside rifle and ammunition, plunged up to my eyes in a pool until the buzzing ceased and the hornets had returned to their nests. Some of my men were also stung. They squeezed a little tobacco juice on the wounds, and they say they felt no further inconvenience. I tried it about an hour afterwards, but it did me no good. I had no idea that the sting of this insect was so severe. My right arm swelled up to double its natural size and was acutely painful. 
Now, on the second day, it is much less so, but as the swelling continues, it is impossible to use it much. That wild bees are exceedingly abundant in the forests and jungles of Borneo may be inferred from the foregoing passages, as well from the numerous references to parties of native wax hunters, which occur in almost every chapter of the work. Although no clue is given by Mr. St. John to the identity of the Bornean honeybee, or any information as to the manner in which it builds its nest, I am enabled in some measure to supply the deficiency from other sources. Some half-dozen years ago, I received from Mr. Charles Darwin, the distinguished naturalist, a few specimens of bees named Apis testacea, Smith, together with two pieces of their comb. Although these had been brought by Mr. Alfred B. Wallace, the celebrated traveler and author of The Malay Archipelago, just published, from the island of Timor in the eastern archipelago, I believe them to be the same as those which are indigenous in Borneo, so that there appears little reason to doubt that these are the bees referred to by Mr. St. John. On examination, I found them half as long again as Apis mellifica, and their brood comb was proportionately thicker. They were, in fact, a variety of the magnificent Apis dorsata, which is described as flourishing abundantly throughout the great Indian peninsula, from Cape Cormoran to the Himalayas, as well as in Ceylon. Mr. Darwin subsequently introduced me to Mr. Wallace, to whom I am indebted for the following particulars. In Borneo and Timor, the wax forms an important article of commerce. The combs hang on the underside of horizontal limbs of lofty trees, often 100 feet from the ground. I have seen three together, as above, and they are often four feet in diameter. The natives of Timor I have seen take them. They climb up a tree carrying a smoke torch made of a split creeper bound up in palm leaves and hanging by a rope from their waist. They cover up their body and hair carefully, but their arms and legs are bare. The smoke directed on the comb makes the bees fly off in a cloud as the man approaches. He sweeps off the remainder with his hand and then cuts off the comb with a large knife and lets it down to his companions below by a thin cord. He is all the time surrounded by a cloud of bees, and, though the smoke no doubt partly stupefies them, he must be severely stung. While looking on from a considerable distance, a few came down and attacked me, and I did not get rid of them till I was a half a mile from the place and had caught them all, one by one, in my insect net. The sting is very severe. I should imagine that in Timor the dry season answers to our winter, as the drought is very severe and much of the foliage is deciduous. Eucalypti are the most common trees, and their flowers, I suspect, supply the bees with their honey. In Borneo, combs are placed in a somewhat similar manner, perhaps formed by the same species. The only bee I have seen domesticated in the east is one at Malacca. The natives hang up bamboos and hollow logs for it, but it is, I believe, not a true apis, as it makes clusters of large oval shells of black wax. I may add that the Timor bee was named Apis testacea on account of its color, which is very light and is, in fact, the only point in which it differs from Apis dorsata. 
When, some years ago, I compared the specimens in the British Museum, I became impressed with the idea that those which represent Apis testacea were nothing more than newly hatched and immature specimens of Apis dorsata, and so strongly did I urge my views upon Mr. Smith that I believe I almost induced him to doubt the correctness of his own nomenclature, until he was afterwards assured by Mr. Wallace himself that they were really mature and fully developed adult bees. A Devonshire Beekeeper End of Section 3